Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hi everyone and welcome to My Millennial Money Medical. My name's Dev Raga and I'm your host and in this episode we will go through the economics of EVs. This is a special episode focusing on my experience driving a Tesla Model 3 for 150,000 kilometers over 2.5 years. This episode will be quite in-depth. We'll take a look at everything about owning an EV and I've collated some of the questions that I've received over the last couple of years and I will answer those questions as well today. I'll break it down in terms of the cost economics because I think where EVs really shine is for people that drive a lot of kilometres. If you're listening, thanks for listening and hopefully you'll find this episode useful in terms of uh, maybe even getting an EV. We can't do this podcast without the support of Altus Financial. If you're anything like me, you will understand that us medical professionals often have unique financial affairs from taxation minimization requirements, multiple entities for accounting or asset protection for the extra risk we take on. Altus Financial understands these issues and more. Whether you're established in your career with a solid income and looking for next steps or you're after advice about buying into a practice, Altus Financial is for medical professionals who want to feel good about their finances. To speak with Altus Financial about your situation, Click the link in the show notes or head to altusfinancial.com.au forward slash M3M. Let's get started. If you want me to discuss a specific topic or if you have a specific question, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. And for those of you that are new to the channel, remember the three aims, education, empowerment and entertainment. Now, we're going to go through a lot of topics when it comes to EVs, and we're going to talk about purchase price, cost of electricity, cost of fuel comparison, the wear and tear uh, autopilot in the Model 3, not the FSD, which is full self-driving technology. Uh, We're going to talk about servicing costs, tyre change costs, and we're going to talk a little bit about the annoying bits of the car, things that really, really annoy me. And we're going to talk about the brilliant bits of the car, things that I really love about the car. And then move on to software and how it upgrades. And also, what about the dreaded EV road tax? I live in Victoria and we are the only state at this time of recording where EV road taxes are a thing. Although I think a couple of other states have also proposed it and I think they're going to do it anyway. So is it still worth driving an EV despite the road tax? We're going to talk about charging infrastructure and how do I actually charge the car? Is it a pain to charge the car? And will I ever go back to an internal combustion engine? And the short answer to that is no. And we're going to go on to talk a little bit about the Tesla service center. Is it actually good? Um, How everything is actually done online, etc. Now, if you haven't listened to my earlier episodes, I break down the costs back then too. And I talk about it in depth, but uh, we'll cover a lot of it here as well. But if, if you are interested, it's episode 58, which is the economics of driving an EV. 
episode 93, which is 12 months of owning an EV, and episode 123, which is 100,000 kilometer EV update. Uh, And just to reassure everyone, I'm not a Tesla fanboy. And in fact, I don't really like Elon Musk. Uh, You know, Elon, if you're listening, hope it's all good, mate. Um, I do troll you a little bit on Twitter. Um, but uh, some of the things you do is just, I don't know, just sounds a bit odd. But um, I think Tesla as a company and as a product and as a car uh, is phenomenal and is exceptional. Um, So that doesn't mean that I love everything about it. But overall, I think the car is actually very, very good. And it's done really well and held up to my driving, which um, I have to say is uh, pretty aggressive. Now to the main topic, what has been like to own and operate an electric vehicle? And uh, this is the fourth episode I've done about my Tesla Model 3 Standard Range Plus. Let's dig in deeper into the details. Now, the total odometer rating at the time of preparing for this episode is 152,856 kilometres. And that's around 5,095 kilometres per month on average. And the total energy used in kilowatt hours is 21,652. Now, just a word of advice, the figures quoted in this episode are my figures and they're rough figures based on information I have collated over the last two and a half years. Your numbers may vary on how much you drive, where you live, what the cost of electricity is, so make sure you ensure you do your approximate sums before heading out and buying that EV. Number one, how much did it cost? So, I bought the Tesla Model 3 Standard Range Plus, the white colour, which was free when I bought it. Uh, Colour selection, depending on the colour that you choose, you've got to pay a little bit extra. And my purchase price was 66,000 base with standard autopilot, which is now called auto steer. I did not get the FSD. Um, I have not upgraded to that. Um, It came in just under the LCT tax, which was a bonus. The purchase process was actually relatively easy. I literally walked into the Chadston store, which is one of the major shopping malls in Victoria, and saw the car. Um, I didn't actually test drive it, and I just ordered one online from within the store. Uh, Because I've done a fair bit of research prior to buying the car in 2019, so I felt that I didn't really need to test drive it. Nowadays, most people do test drive it, um, but I didn't. I took handover in September 2019, and it was during the first week of the launch uh, of the car in Melbourne and in Australia. And I thought the pricing was very aggressive when compared to comparable cars such as the Mercedes C-Class or BMW 3 Series or Audi A4. At the time, I was actually in the market for a Mercedes when Tesla actually started promoting the Model 3 uh, to be released in Australia in 2019. Now, factoring in pectoral costs, it was absolute no-brainer for me in terms of the amount of driving that I do. In more recent times, in 2021, Tesla reduced their price to $57,000, which was incredibly aggressive pricing. Now, it's gone back up to around $63,000 plus GST, which works out to be around $69,000. And I still think it's a pretty good and cheap buy if you're in to that price range for buying an ICE car anyway. Now, number two, how much do I drive? A lot is an understatement. Since I've purchased the car, it's been two and a half years exactly, and I've driven 152,856 kilometres. So I drive a lot. So it made sense for me to look at alternatives from ICE cars to EVs because of the cost of petrol, which was rising, 
and of course the wear and tear and service costs of ICE cars. And I will talk about that a little bit later in the episode. Now, what about the range? Now, range is something a lot of people ask me about. I used to get asked this a lot on the street at charging stations. You know, people would come up to me and ask, how far can you drive this thing? Now, this was especially when I drove a lot of rural areas, and I still do. And every time they used to see my car, that question would pop up. And I think the reason is they think it was impossible to drive that far away. Now, sometimes I'd be a couple of hundred kilometres away from Melbourne. In the last 12 months, I've not had a single question about range from the public passerby. And I think this is because EVs are more popular now than they were in 2019. And they see these cars roaming around the city and country areas all the time. It's fair to say there is not a day that I don't see an EV on my drive. Every single day I am seeing an EV and dare I say every single day I'm seeing a Tesla on the road. Now, when I first bought the car, I started with range of about 384 kilometres and now on 100% charge, I get a rated range of 358 to 360 kilometres. Now, after 12 months of owning the car, it dropped from 384 to 364 to 378 kilometres. Now, that's a range loss of about 26 kilometres for me after two and a half years, which I think isn't bad in my opinion. The range loss is greatest in the first 12 months, and then what tends to happen is it plateaus. Now, I'm incredibly surprised how well the battery has held up, despite my repeated beatings to it. Not physical beatings, but the way that I drive the car. It's worth pointing out, I do not drive it showing the range all the time. Just like I didn't drive my previous ICE car with their range showing all the time, right? So I drive it with the percentage charged function on because I think my car is more like a device, a phone or a laptop or an iPad. It gives a better indication of battery range rather than absolute kilometres because it changes depending on the driving style. The kilometre range is calibrated based on my driving dynamics. So your most recent drive is what Tesla salesperson told me. That's how your range is affected. So if you drive it really aggressively the night before, then your range is going to drop the next day. But when you drive it a little bit more passively, then your range is going to improve. Now, that's very similar to an internal combustion car. If you're going to drive an ICE car really aggressively, then it's going to chew up a lot of petrol and your range is going to drop. So when people say, oh, you know, EVs have range anxiety, I don't buy that. It's very similar to the way that you drive the ICE car. Now, the other thing is the factors which affect range. I get asked this a lot. How aggressively do you drive? Now, that basically affects the range. So if you drive aggressively, you're going to have less range. So if you're going to be flooring your EV every single day, which is relatively tempting to do, then yes, your range will drop. The other thing is weather. Whether there's windy uh, weather, whether there's rainy weather, rain seems to chew up a lot of range. um, And I think it's because it, it just increases resistance for the car to go against at high speeds. And I do drive in high speeds, you know, I drive about 100, 110 kilometers, mostly on freeways. Um, the terrain, whether it's uphill or downhill, uh, it depends on how much use of the regenerative ba- braking that you might be doing, that affects range. Um, so regen is basically one pedal driving in the Tesla Model 3. 
And I've set regen to be aggressive. So basically, I do not use the brakes at all. Um, autopilot or not. Now, surprisingly, um, autopilot is largely inefficient range-wise. Uh, it doesn't seem to maximise regeneration in terms of braking capacity. And of course, how much heating you use. The newer generation models, I note, um, are much more efficient because I think they have a heat pump um, or they have better heat pumps, um, which are far more efficient than my Model 3 because mine is first generation, which was released in 2019. Now we've got the Made in China Model 3s, which are far more efficient. And the tech on range and batteries is just so much better now compared to when I bought my car. Number three, the cost of electricity. Now, since purchasing the car, we have switched over to off-peak electricity rates. And our off-peak electricity rates from a home is approximately 15 cents per kilowatt hour. We could probably get it a bit cheaper, but we just haven't bothered. And there are plenty of options nowadays. So if you're thinking about an EV, please shop around because most power companies should have off-peak rates. Now, the main reason we switched to off-peak rates is the Tesla has capabilities to schedule charge. So I only charge at home during off-peak rates, which is after 11 p.m. So basically when I plug it in, the car knows, because I've programmed it, that between 11 p.m. and I think about 6 a.m. in the morning is off-peak rates. So the car doesn't charge immediately when I plug it in. It waits for those times. And of course, the car has a clock. And it also adjusts automatically for daylight savings, which I found out the very first time was actually fantastic. Now, during the day, we do have solar in the house, which powers the home. And we make sure we use appliances between 11am and 3pm, depending on the day to capitalise on this as much as possible. And we do live in a large home. Our home is 50 squares. So our solar, we have about 6.8 kilowatts, I think, from memory. And it tends to do a reasonably good job in summer, where essentially during the day, we don't really need to use any uh, grid electricity. But of course, at nighttime, when I plug in my car, that's when most of the electricity is being used. And therefore, because it's so cheap to charge my car after hours, it makes sense for me to charge my car between 11pm and 6am at home, just like I charge my laptop, my iPad and my iPhone. Again, the car is like a device for me. It is not just a car. So the total electricity used to drive uh, for me so far, has been 21,652 kilowatt hours. Therefore, the total cost of electricity, had I just charged it only off peak, which mostly I did, uh, is going to be around $3,247.80. Now, this is assuming that I charged at home all the time. Now, during the entire EV ownership for me, I've only charged the car during daylight hours possibly two or three times, because most of the time the car is out of the home. So I don't charge in the home during daytime. The solar electricity runs the house during the daytime. Um, and therefore, it wouldn't make any sense for me to use that electricity to actually charge my car because the car is actually not home. So um, for me, charging after hours is going to make most fiscal sense. So on average, I found about 35% of my charging is free thanks to public charge points. And there's plenty around in Melbourne. So my actual cost of running this car to drive 152,000 
856 kilometres in terms of electricity is not $3,247, it's actually only $2,111. Now, previously, if you've listened to my previous episodes, I used to say that I charge about 47% of the time using public charging infrastructure. That's dropped to about 35% of the time because I've changed workplaces, hence the average is now lower. Now, the Tesla app actually has specific charging details, home versus outside home. So you can actually track your charging costs as you use the car. You can actually get various apps like Teslafy, etc. if you're really, really into that. I'm not really into that sort of stuff. I'm just looking at the basics. Number four, the cost of fuel if I drove my previous fuel-efficient diesel ice car. So what's the point of buying an EV? You've got to compare it to the equivalent fuel model. So... My peak performance would be around 800 kilometers per fuel tank. This is the best efficiency that I've achieved, sometimes up to 960, but, you know, sometimes it'd be around 700. Mostly it'd be around 700 to 800, but I'm going to use a higher efficiency here. So 800 uh, 800 kilometers per tank is what I'm going to use. And the fuel tank capacity was 53 litres, and the average fuel price was $1.50. Now, it's been lower and higher over the two, two and a half years because of the COVID pandemic. And of course, recently with fuel supply shortages, it's been skyrocketing. But I thought $1.50 is something reasonable moving forward. So if you're in the market for an EV, I would factor in a fuel cost of about $1.50 to compare it to. And recently in Melbourne, you know, fuel prices at the time of, you know, preparing for this episode is around $1.75 to $2.25, you know, due to the Ukraine war crisis, etc., which is really insane. Now, I note that it kind of came down to maybe $1.60, $1.70, but slowly it's starting to creep up to that $2 uh, mark again, which, you know, the whole point of it was for fuel prices to be more affordable to people because of the 22 cent fuel excise discount, which the government sort of announced during their budget. Uh, I don't know what's happened to that. I think that maybe that's just been evaporated into rising cost. I'm not sure. So using those sort of metrics, I calculated on average, I was spending around $79.50 per fuel tank. Now you're probably spending a lot more given the fuel prices are going higher and higher, but it all depends on the cost of fuel. It also depends on the tank size and also your driving efficiency and what sort of car that you have. But I had a European diesel, basically. Now, given driving habits, the total number of fuel tanks that I would have needed to achieve 152,856 kilometres would have been 191 fuel tanks based on an efficiency of around 800 kilometres per fuel tank. Therefore, the total cost of fuel would have been $15,190. Now, if the fuel cost was around $2 on average, then the cost escalates to $20,246. Now, for European cars or diesels in general, you need to put something called AdBlue, which basically neutralizes all the toxic things that it spills out um, in the tailpipe. And AdBlue 10 litres for me was around $40, good quality. Now, the total AdBlue that I would have needed is around 159 litres, which was around $636. And the way that I calculated that is basically every 960 kilometres, you require about one litre of AdBlue. And surprisingly, I drove past a fuel station the other day. At the time of recording this episode, uh, I sort of calculated in April, the cost of AdBlue was very, very high. And again, that's probably due to the shortage global wide. 
So the total cost of fuel, had I driven the same amount of Ks with my previous fuel-efficient car, including the AdBlue, would have been $15,190 plus $636, so $15,826. Now, one of my listeners, um, while I was preparing for this, who's also purchased a Tesla Model 3 EV, raised a really good point. You never really need to attend a petrol station, except for maybe water in the windshield wiper fluid compartment or tyre pressure checks. But you could do all that at home if you really wanted to, if you had the right equipment. Now, the unnecessary expenditure you may end up buying at the petrol station whilst refuelling adds up. And he estimated per stop he would spend on average about a dollar extra. The coffee here, the donut here, the chips there or whatever it is. Now, that's not much when you think about it. In my case, it probably would have been about $191 over two and a half years. Again, not a huge expense, but still an expense. And my financial independence brain tells me it's worth around $3,833 over 40 years, uh, accounting for 8% rise, and that's only after 2.5 years of EV driving. And that assumes an 8% return and 0.2% expense ratio. Basically, there's all this sort of collateral expenditure that people do at the petrol station, which I don't do because I never go to the petrol station. I very rarely go. Now, the fifth thing is the cost of tyres. Now, for the Model 3, it's around $1,500 that I've calculated. I've only had one set of tyres change so far, and I'm due to my second set soon, estimated to be between 160 and 180,000 kilometres. Now, heaps of people have contacted me that they require tyres much earlier. And I think it's likely due to the mostly freeway driving that I do, and not many turns and pretty cruisy drives most days. I'm pretty lucky. So the wear and tear is relatively minimal. Now, my previous car, the cost of changing tyres was $1,200. I've not accounted for quality of tyres here. The Model 3 has a very high-end Michelin tyres, whereas my previous car mainly had Bridgestone tyres. And these costs include wheel alignment. Now, one of the things to consider when having an EV is you may find, depending on the city or state that you're in, only some tyre fitters will fit tyres for EVs. You need to check. This is because... When they jack the car up, they need somewhat special equipment to not damage the batteries. Now, if you join a respective Facebook group for your EV, you may find where your car can be fitted with new tyres. Specialty stores like Bridgestone or Bob Jane T-Mart, etc., they'll have no troubles at all because they have all the equipment, and I tend to prefer them. More and more tyre shops are accounting for EV tyre changes. So in 2022, I don't think it's a major hassle, but it's something to be aware of. I know when I first did it, I had to ask around online and Bob Jane in Doncaster, shout out, did it for me in Melbourne. Number six, cost of service. For the Model 3, now one of the things that really, really pisses me off when the media talk about petrol costs and comparisons to EVs is they don't talk about the other big cost savings, which is servicing. EVs don't need to be regularly serviced. Every time I say something online in a generic forum, they're like, oh, what's the servicing cost? I repeat, they don't need regular servicing. Why? Because they have less moving parts, which means less wear and tear and less things to go wrong. I did my first Model 3 service after 140,000 kilometres, only because I got a bit nervous and I actually took it and said, you better do something about this because it's a bit odd and I feel weird driving a car that hasn't been serviced. In fact, I took my Tesla after about a year and they said, 
I don't need to service it. Don't waste your money. They turn me back. So, it was a bit odd. It's something that I was used to previously and now I'm getting used to the fact that I don't need to regularly service this car. But I've only done one service and the cost for that was $446.79, including GST. And the parts and the costs were HVAC filter for air conditioning, $54, wiper blades, $31 times two, brake fluid check, $24, brake fluid bleed and flush, $216. And I think that really required it to be done. And labor was only 90 bucks. Now, the important distinguishing feature of an EV is a limited number of moving parts. There are far more moving parts in the ice cart, which can break down or wear down. So the chances of needing a repair is more likely in an ice car than in an EV. I stands for internal combustion engine cars. Now, that's how ice car companies and service centers make money from servicing. Now, my previous car, which was a diesel, cost around $400 per service on average, sometimes $800, sometimes $1,000, but I'm going to use a figure of about $400 to give that a benefit of the doubt for the ice car, and we had to do it every 20,000 kilometers. Again, on average, sometimes more, sometimes less, most non-European cars may need servicing every 10,000 kilometers. Now, the total cost would have been if I was driving my European car, it would have been $3,057.12. And if it's a non-European car that you're driving, you would have had to spend about $6,114. Now, most ice car companies and dealerships make their money on servicing. This is one of their revenue streams. And I'm assuming the ice car never has any repairs or parts changes, which is very unlikely. But I'm going to give the ice car the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to say just servicing and no breakdown of parts. Now, the other thing is, here's the direct comparison then for costs so far. And I'm going to include the servicing costs and I'm going to also include the petrol costs or the electricity cost in my case. The Model 3 total running cost is $3,247.80. My cost of that is $2,111 because remember, 35% of my charging is free. And then the servicing cost was $446.79. So the total grand total cost is $3,694.59. Add on to that tires was $5,194.59. That's including the tires, which was around $1,500. But my cost, if you took into account the 35% of free charging, including the tires and everything inclusive, was $4,057.79. Now, the ice car running costs would have been petrol, servicing, add blue and tyres, $20,383. And if non-European car, $23,440. And that includes all those costs as well. So in terms of total cost comparison, $5,194 for my Tesla Model 3 Standard Range Plus, compared to around twenty dollars to $23,000 for an ice car. Now, my cost is a little bit skewed because 35% of my charging is free. So I'm not going to really compare that. But if you wanted to include that, so far, the savings are starting to add up driving an EV. The worst case scenario for me is $15,188. The best case scenario for me is $18,245. And my specific case scenario 
is $16,325. That is my saving. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, is an EV worth it for me? Yes, because I drive a lot. And also the purchase price of my EV was exactly the same as what I would have done buying an ICE car. Is an EV cheaper than an ICE car compared to a cheap ICE car? Well, I don't think it is, but that's an unfair comparison. And is an EV a better car overall compared to an ICE car? Yes, it's faster, it's cheaper to run, less servicing. And did I mention it was faster? More about this later in the episode. Now, obviously then the question beckons, how much was my ICE car prior to buying a Model 3? As we know, ICE cars on the whole are a lot cheaper than any EV that's out there at the moment. Now, this is another bit where the media and some people don't compare apples to apples. And again, it irritates me. My ICE car prior to Model 3 for me, to have a similar features would have cost around maybe sixty to 66000 if I'm lucky. In fact, to get an ICE car with all the features that the Tesla Model 3 Standard Range Plus has, such as auto steer, autopilot, and the functionality that a Model 3 has, it'll cost around $70,000. Even the Mercs or the Audis or the BMWs, the base models don't have all those features. So you've got to add those features on. So it's going to be closer to seventy, if not $90,000, depending on the features that you add on. So I've compared both cars as accurately as possible, an ICE car and EV, with the purchase price to be very similar. And I think that's how comparisons need to be made. Otherwise, if you're comparing an EV, which admittedly has a lot more expensive uh, uh, compared to a Suzuki Swift, that's an unfair comparison, in my humble opinion, because the EV has a lot more functionality and features compared to a Suzuki Swift. Number seven, cost of software upgrade. The Model 3, zero. My previous car, no such thing. Now, I have not opted for the FSD package, which is a full self-driving package for the Model 3, because I think there is very little application in Australia for it. Now, I think Tesla are probably going to be moving to the FST subscription model. I don't know whether it's live yet, which is hopefully transferable between cars, because at the moment, 
if you buy FSD on one car and you sell it, you lose the FSD. The new buyer gets the FSD. Now, you can whack on the additional price to the new buyer, but software doesn't appreciate with time in terms of value to appreciate. So I wouldn't be recommending paying an extra $10,000 extra for a product which will change in the coming years. So again, Elon Musk, if you're listening, and I think you should because you've got to pay yourself because you've lost several billion dollars in this tech crunch and the stock market crash, so uh, diversify. Your FSD sucks and it's not worth $10,000 and I'm not recommending any of my listeners get FSD. So Elon Musk, full self-driving technology in your Model 3 at the moment sucks. Now, I'm not even sure if other EV models have full self-driving technology yet. Now, one of the stupid things about the Model 3 is Auto Park is part of the full self-driving functionality, which is ridiculous given most European cars and Korean cars, for that matter, have better Auto Park facilities and functions and is usually is standard in most of their cars for this price range. Now, the newer Model 3s have all five-seat heater functionality. Finally, something so simple has taken so long, which is great. It's probably worth noting, though, all Model 3s have built-in hardware, and they use the software to limit some of those features and expand them. So you can just upgrade at a later time if you wish. This, I guess, is a good thing, so the car can improve over time. So how does the software update work? Surprisingly, it's similar to your phone or laptop. The way it works is this. The car tells you when the new software is ready to go because it's constantly connected to the internet, either via your home Wi-Fi when you're parked at home or via 4G LTE connection. You park the car at home, it connects to your Wi-Fi, and you authorise a download of the new software from your app. Schedule the installation just like your phone or your computer or tablet, and by the morning, it's done. It just upgraded itself. Easy, simple. The version of the software is displayed in the car screen and on your phone app, so you know it's updated. It's this sort of functionality you just won't get with non-EVs or even some of the other EV brands out there. I know other car manufacturers, though, are learning very, very quickly. So I think this sort of over-the-air software update is probably going to be uh, more and more common moving forward. I know the Ford F-150 Lightning, which will be released in the United States this year sometime, maybe by the time this episode airs, it might have already been released. They have over-the-air software updates as well. So that's great. Now, the fact that the car gets quicker cheaper and more functionality as you use it, it's actually quite amazing and it doesn't cost me a cent. Now, my latest software update involved updated sat-nav maps, which provides live um, uh, traffic updates, including roadblocks and most published freeway closures because a Monash is constantly closed in Melbourne because they're upgrading the freeway for the last three years and God knows when that will finish. Does your ICE car do this? Probably not. And to my knowledge, the average ICE car does not have software updates. It does still have a key. And for anything computer related, you need to take it to the service people for diagnostics. Again, it just sounds so lame. And I think car manufacturers need to get on with tech and the times and make it more over the air as much as possible. For that, I give Tesla full credit because they were one of the first car companies, in fact, the first car company that did over-the-air software updates. So that, I think, again, Tesla as a company pioneered that and they've done it really, really well. And dare I say, probably done it better 
than Apple or Microsoft for their laptops or iPhones. It's just so seamless with the Tesla. It's amazing. Number eight, what about the charging infrastructure? Now, I'm lucky enough to have public charging stations in Melbourne and where I work, so for me, it's not a problem. My average daily driving is around 180 to 250 kilometres, and the car doesn't need charging for these types of distances. But I think this whole range anxiety is totally overrated. Just download PlugShare, which is a free app, and you'll see how many well-connected charging stations we have in Australia. Then check out North America and Europe, and you will see a glimpse of how well-connected they are. Hint, they're far better connected than us, but I still think charging infrastructure as a risk to buying EV is simply bullshit. Now, I've literally supercharged my car twice for the fun of it in the two and a half years that I've driven this, and I drive tens of thousands of kilometers per day. You don't need a supercharger at your Coles or Woolies. It's just stupid if you think you do. I do not check my range every day anymore because I can't be bothered because I know I've had enough range and I know I won't run out. Number nine, what has been the total range since I bought it? Now, Tesla claims a high range, which isn't true. They claim a range of 491 kilometers for their Model 3. And I think that's a gross overestimation and no one is likely to get anywhere near that. The petrol equivalent is when you buy a car and they're, quote, three and a half litres per 100 kilometres. But real world, it's more like six to seven litres for 100 kilometres. So when people ask about range anxiety, that's what I tell them. When you buy an ice car, do you actually get the exact fuel efficiency that they tell you? You don't. And that's kind of like range. It depends on the type of driving, the type of car, the type of terrain, the type of weather, etc., etc. Now, for me, the rated range, which is what it shows in the car after a full charge, at the moment is anywhere between 358 to 360 kilometres. When I bought it, they quoted around 400 kilometres, which was incorrect. Uh, And it also changes depending on the weather. Colder climates, you get lesser range. Warmer climates, you get more range. So in summer, my range is much more efficient. In winter, my range is much more inefficient but I can still easily drive 250 kilometres every single day in the depths of winter in Melbourne. So don't stress. Now, when I bought it, the range was around 384 kilometres, the rated range. I once managed to get it to that rated range of 400 kilometres, but that was a very brief moment. Now, my car is a made-in-USA car. There is a newer version, which is made in China, which seems to hold range a lot better my battery hasn't degraded much, much to my surprise. During a recent service, Tesla service actually said my battery's in excellent health, which is kind of surprising. I was expecting it to degrade a lot quicker. The battery degradation in the first 12 months for me um, has been about 26 kilometres, and then it's been plateaued, and I don't think it'll degrade much further. Again, battery degradation is all independent on charging habits. Now, You don't charge the car to 100% every single day in my made-in-USA car. I alternate it between 80 and 90% to maintain optimal battery uh, grade. Now, in the made-in-China cars, you will need to charge it to 100% all the time. So when you buy an EV, it doesn't matter if you buy a Tesla or whatever, you need to specifically ask the salesperson, what is the optimal charging habits? Read the manual, check the manual, and check the online YouTube video tutorials. There is heaps of them for your specific EV. Number 10, 
charging habits. Simple, nightly, and public charging points. Now, I've used a supercharge, like I said, only a couple of times because for me, it's just not needed. I've not done long road trips like 500 or 700 kilometers because if I'm driving 700 kilometers, I'm going to fly. I don't like camping. I don't go outback driving, all that sort of stuff. I stick to cities. I'm an urban person. So for me, I just fly. If I needed to do that, I wouldn't drive my Tesla. Now, but if you wanted to drive, you can practically drive from Adelaide to Brisbane and beyond without much hassles. Um, To be honest, if you look at PlugShare, there's plenty of charging stations. And I think they've done uh, experiments on driving an ice car versus an EV to see who gets there quicker. And of course, the ice car gets there quicker, but it's actually not by very much. And charging the car is like charging a laptop or phone. I have forgotten to charge it once in the last two and a half years and panicked in the morning when it wasn't charged, but I had enough to get back to work. And I personally have a wall connector at home, which is a Tesla supplied wall connector, which charges at a single phase power charge of about 42 kilometers per hour. And that's plenty for me if I'm charging overnight. And it takes about four hours to charge at off-peak rates. Again, you're not going to be draining the battery to 0% and then charging it every single day. So single phase is around 42 kilometers per hour. Three phase, I think, is around 80 to 84 kilometers per hour. For me, the wall connector came free of charge when I bought the car. But now I think it's an optional extra, which is a bit disappointing. But I think it's well worth it. And installation is around, you know, anywhere between $300 to $1,000. And the actual wall connector is probably around sort of $500 to $600, bucks, I think, from memory. The car has built-in scheduled charging, so you can program it to charge off peak rates. This is probably the best feature of it. I only charge after 11 p.m. as it's cheapest. And during the day, we have members of the family at home, so we use solar for daytime use of home appliances. I don't have a home battery installed because I don't think it's worth it at this stage cost-wise. Now, we've had power cuts a few times in the last two and a half years after Melbourne storms, but it didn't really affect the charging, as often the power cuts was only for a few hours at a time. But if you have a massive power cut, it has happened for a few days in parts of Victoria, then power supply becomes a real issue. So you will need to go out of your area and charge the car if you do long distance travel like me every day. For everyday use though, you could not charge it for two to three days at a time and be completely fine but the battery health is an issue. That is, the car prefers you charge it every day, just like your laptop and smartphone, rather than letting it drain all the way down to zero every single time. Number 11, what's the best thing about the car? Now, standard autopilot or auto steer, I think is superior, in my humble opinion, when compared to other brands. It just recognises speeding signs, it auto-adjusts on rural roads, It speed limits you so you don't get a speeding fine on rural roads. But sometimes it recognises school zones and doesn't take into account the time zones when the school zones are not active, for example, during school holidays, which is a bit annoying. And sometimes it recognises the 40 sign behind the school buses. Again, really annoying. So you need to be really, really vigilant. So you could be in a 60 zone and it may recognise the school bus in front of you with a 40 sign behind it. And it just automatically adjusts your speed to 40. And the guy behind you honks at you because he thinks you're brake checking him. So, but overall though, the autopilot auto steer just works really, really well. The software updates are a bonus and it gives the impression of new features every single month or so. And the car continually improves. Now my range improved despite not buying a new car. The acceleration also decreased due to this because when they upgraded the software, the range went up just slightly. So that's great. 
You spend money once, you get unlimited software updates. And I don't know if Tesla are going to keep charging people in the future. I suspect they would. Uh, but if they do, that would be a real, real uh, disappointment. I think software updates should be free for the lifetime of the car. Now, generally speaking, I think a Model 3 from an EV perspective is a relatively cheap car compared to more expensive brands. You know, you've got your Mercedes, you've got the BMWs, you've got the Audis, now you've got the Volvo, the Polestar 2, which I saw on the road the other day, which looks great. They're obviously a lot more expensive than the Tesla Model 3. And the simplicity of the screen, you know, there's no dashboard, there's no head-up display, it just makes it easier. A few people on the forums online, they kind of complain there isn't that dashboard and there isn't that head-up display, but I don't think that's required. I think the simplicity of the screen is what I like and the vision for the driving is a lot easier because you don't have this dashboard in front of you cluttering your viewpoint. Voice command for me just works. Uh, I use it for navigation all the time. I have favorite destinations plugged into it. So it's easy. It's free speech. I don't have to use specific commands. So, you know, a command like open glove box, for example, just works. The glove box opens. Now, the car talks to my phone. So I just walk up to it and it opens. My phone is my key. I don't have a key fob. It's not needed. I have a little swipe card to get into the car if I really get stuck or the phone goes down. It has all of my calendar events already in it as it's synced to my phone. So it kind of knows what my calendar is for the day. Sometimes it even predicts where I'm going when I get into the car. Sentry mode is great. Uh, Basically, it's an eight camera system around the car, which continually records if you wanted to. So when you park your car at public places, if someone gets too close to it, it flashes. It doesn't honk, but it flashes and it starts recording. Then on the screen in the iPad inside, or I'll call it the iPad, the display inside, it actually says sentry mode is on. So, you know, you see YouTube videos about people scratching your car and things like that. Those people will be caught and it records in pretty great um, quality as well. There's so many idiots on the road. So I think it just records automatically if you honk the horn sometimes uh, or when you park. So if you're near a Tesla, please understand the car automatically records everything. Now, fun fact, go to YouTube and search for Tesla Ducks which is my video, which I uploaded in 2019, which initially went a bit viral around the world. And guess what? In true Devraga fashion, I still make money from it even to this day. And if you go there and watch it a few times, you will make me richer. So thank you very much for watching that video. Now, recently, software update meant that you can activate the camera inside the cabin if you wish. Uh, Not sure what the point of it personally is. I think Tesla say it's good for safety. They want to analyze it, etc. Uh, If you want to share the data, you could. They can improve safety standards. I have not activated that webcam inside the cabin. Uh, Maybe when I'm live podcasting, maybe I'll do it. But at this stage, uh, I just don't feel comfortable activating my cabin cameras while I'm driving. Number 12, have I been locked out? Yes, I actually was locked out once uh, at Mooney Ponds. I parked parked in the um, shopping centre there. And I called the main Tesla number, which went to California, and they remotely unlocked it for me after I cited some basic information about the car, and uh, it was done remotely via the internet. So that was interesting, and it was pretty quick. Number 13, monthly cost for my 4G connectivity, which gives me satellite maps, live traffic, which is very accurate, including roadworks. Um, It takes into account roadworks when calculating a navigation, which is awesome. 
For me, it costs about $10 per month, which I think is pretty reasonable. It's like a little phone plan, unlimited data. More recently, though, the dreaded M1, which has been uh, under Roadworks, as I mentioned before, which is the Monash Freeway. Uh, they just keep closing it at night, which is really annoying. So it recognizes that, which is good. But it's about 10 bucks a month, which is around $120 a year, which isn't too much. Number 14, Tesla service. My experience has been one service so far. Uh, the first service that I've done after two and a half years, I did it earlier this year. It was pretty streamlined. Everything was done via the app. I basically booked it via the app. They confirmed it via the app. You don't have to ring people. It's done online. And I think overall, the people in the service center are relatively, quote unquote, young uh, and often probably don't know much about the car. Uh, but I do feel a bit sorry for them sometimes because a car is like a tech product. So people have done heaps of research online already. And it's probably the most scrutinized brand in modern times. But hopefully, I think Tesla service will improve over time. But I'm part of an online Tesla forum and people have various complaints about the Tesla service. I don't think the Tesla service is as good as a Mercedes, BMW or an Audi. Nowhere in comparison. Um, So overall, I think the Tesla service can improve a lot. The car does come with a roadside assist, uh, which I think expires after a certain time. And the battery warranty is 160,000 kilometers and 80,000 kilometers for the build warranty. Thankfully, have never had to use it, uh, but I do wonder what would happen in one or two years time when I might need to change the battery, I think, or something like that. But for now, it looks like the battery's A-OK and I'm going to keep using it. They've sort of told me unofficially that I can probably get about half a million kilometers from it. If I'm lucky, perhaps one million kilometers but I think that's more of a new battery thing, not the 2019 model. So I think half a million is probably what I'd be hoping, uh, hoping to aim for. Number 15, the annoying bits of the car. Now, some of you that have been listening to my podcast for a while have probably heard this before, and, I, and I'm not very um, shy to discuss this. Basic things like seat warmers in the back are an option when I bought it. Uh, I think it's standard now. That was a bit lame for a so-called high-tech car. Uh, Now, the good thing is it can be activated by the app for an upgrade, but it's still lame not to have it as a standard feature. So again, Tesla, that's rubbish. The lack of some buttons, like climate control, um, some people complain about it. For me, it wasn't much of a bothersome because I kind of set it at a particular temperature and I like it and I just leave it. You know, who adjusts their climate control every single drive? I don't. Um, Except the buttons that I wish they had, was the headlights, although most of the time my headlights are on auto, so therefore I never have to turn them on or turn them off. It just happens. And you can have voice function if you really want for these features in the future. The wiper function. The auto wiper function is crap in the Model 3. And they just seem to have just complicated it by trying to reinvent the wheel by using some sort of AI technology. It's just crap. Uh, And I've told Tesla this numerous times and I've tweeted about it, my frustrations. The auto wiper function is rubbish. The auto high beams function, absolute rubbish. Again, Elon Musk, if you're listening, which I think you should, it's the worst auto high beam system I have ever used. It's absolutely rubbish. And I think rubbish is probably too nice a word. Again, you build such a great car, a great product, which is efficient, smart, but can't get the wiper and the auto high beam function right? Rubbish. 
Now, when you use the heater, for me in the 2019 model, it just uses so much more battery power. The newer versions of the car that are made in China models have more efficient heat pumps, which I think reduces this risk. And for some odd reason, some drivers of some ICE cars like the Mercedes AMGs or the Holden or Ford drivers, you know, there's performance vehicles, they seem to challenge a drag race of the lights. As a good driver, I never participate in such drag races. Um, you need to be super careful with the acceleration with the Model 3 or any EV. It is addictive. It can easily land you in trouble when it comes to speeding. Uh, and I'm very careful when it comes to this uh, because I've never really had a speeding fine ever in my car. Number 17, insurance costs. Now, insurance costs are actually very similar. Now, I'm paying about 1400 bucks per year and it'll probably get cheaper as the car becomes more and more popular. Surprisingly, I used to pay around 1100 bucks for my ICE car from memory. Uh, I've heard of low quotes for the Model 3 for up to 800 bucks per year and sometimes as low as $600. One of my friends actually got a Model 3 and he only pays 600 bucks a year, which is really cheap. And I think that's through AMI. Insurance, of course, depends on where you live, how much you drive, and your current and past claims, etc. So there's lots of variabilities there. Number 18, what do I do with my cost savings? So I tend to put it towards investments. I want my money to grow. I don't spend it because I figure I'll need to spend it on my car anyway. Had I bought the ICE car, so it's straight to my index funds. Thank you very much. And I calculated at this rate, it's likely going to grow to about seven figures if I just did it until retirement, which I probably will because I don't see myself ever going back to an ICE car unless something drastic happens. Number 19, what about the Vic EV road tax? Now, some other states are also considering this at the time of preparing for this episode. Now, in Victoria, this has been a controversial charge on EV owners. It's called the ZLEV charge, the Zero and Low Emissions Vehicle Charge. This includes EVs, hydrogen-powered cars, plug-in hybrids. It does not include conventional hybrids like Camry hybrids, which have batteries, uh, but that's largely run on fuel anyway. So the basic charge is based on how much you use the road, how many kilometres you've travelled. And the way it works is once you buy your ZLEV car, VicRoads will send you an online notification or letter which asks you to take a photo of your odometer and declare it. Now, I suspect they have a software which can read photos So you can't really lie on your odometer declaration. Now, I know many people have uploaded images with obscenities to VicRoads because they're so angry about it. I'm not really sure whatever happened to those photos. The EV community have felt hard done by by this tax because the uproar is it's unfair and it hinders people's affinity to buy more EVs. The world needs to get away from fossil fuels and oil for bowering our transportation, right? That is generally the viewpoint of EV drivers, including me. We can't keep polluting the environment by fossil fuels. Now, forget about climate change and all that sort of stuff. Forget about all that, right? Think about it this way. When you go pick up your kids from the school, some schools ask you to turn off your car because while you're waiting to pick up your children from school, it is absolutely spewing pollutants near the vicinity of our children. To me, that doesn't make any sense. Again, for that reason alone, in terms of air quality and pollution, for particulate matter that's floating around that you and I are breathing, it's stupid to continue burning fossil fuels for transportation. 
Yes, it's not going to change overnight, but we need to have a sustainable solution moving forward. And I think EVs are one solution as part of a global solution. And there's got to be multi multilateral solutions here. It's not going to be just EVs are going to save the world, etc. It's just one part of the transportation network. Now, the ZLEV charge, what are the charges? For EVs, it's 2.5 cents per kilometre driven. And for plug-in EVs, it's 2 cents per kilometre. Sorry, plug-in hybrids, beg your pardon, not EVs. PHEVs. Now, what is the background to this tax, which essentially it is a tax, call it whatever you want, road charge, whatever it is, it's a bloody road tax. Now, for petrol, diesel and gas-powered cars, the Commonwealth Government charges fuel excise charges, which is a tax. It's currently sitting around 42.3 cents per litre for petrol and diesel vehicles and 13.8 cents per litre for LPG. Of course, this is before the recent, at the time of preparing for this episode, which is in early April, the federal government budgetary measures to ease this tax by discounting above 50%. So you get a 22 cent discount or so off per litre of fuel in excise charges. The Victorian government, which I think is the only state which does this at this time, thank you Dan Andrews, states that it will use any revenue it collects via this road tax to accelerate the adoption of zero and low emission vehicles. Now, I haven't seen any transparency on this. Maybe I haven't looked hard enough. If anyone else has, I'm really keen to know. Where is this money going? The money that I'm paying in this road tax. Now, basically, how do I know my EV road usage tax is going to the correct place? How do I know that money is not going to subsidise the fossil fuel industry? Who knows? Now, the flip side of all this is the ZLEV drivers will get a $100 concession on their road registration fees in Victoria. And I've started paying the fee and basically I get an invoice from Vic Roads and I pay it like any other bill. Now, there are some exclusions. Uh, if you have a ZLEV bikes, uh, they're excluded. Not sure why. Mobile plant equipment, that's EV, excluded. Private roads are excluded. And travelling interstate, that's not an exemption. So if I use interstate roads in my Model 3, even though the interstate road system or the governments there don't charge uh, uh, a state-based EV road tax, the tax in Victoria still applies and goes to the Victorian government. That's a clever way to raise money on the backs of other states. So I can go to New South Wales, use all the infrastructure there and come back to Victoria and pay the road tax in Victoria. With that in mind, my road tax over these past two and a half years driving the Model 3 would have been, note I'm calculating this for the entire time of ownership, but the road tax in Victoria has only been around since July 2021, but I'm going to use the whole time, is $3,821.40 or around $1,528.56 per year. So let's add this to the overall cost. Now, the total cost of driving my Model 3 is $9,015. So my savings, worst case scenario now becomes $11,367. Best case scenario, $14,424. And my case scenario, especially for me, is $12,504. Now, on a per year basis for me, that's around $5,000 Savings. Now, I started off around $6,000 savings per year when I first bought the car. That's what I calculated, which you might hear me quoting in the previous episodes. That's dropped down to about $5,000 per year. But the EV road tax has probably got a lot to do with that. Again, thank you, Dan Andrews. So, what do I think about the tax? Now, roads have to be maintained. The feds and the states will lose money if everyone just shifts to EVs because they won't have enough petrol excise charges to be charged. 
So they're trying to recoup some of those costs. And I think over time, the tax kind of makes sense. I think every state will move towards a EV road tax. Like all things in life, this penalises people who travel more to work. And we can get into the whole socioeconomic situation about this, but that's another topic because let's face it, petrol is basically user pays. So if you drive a lot, you pay more in fuel charges. So it's kind of the same. Personally, I think it's an okay tax. I think soon all states will have it. Um, I don't see any way around this. But already the misinformation on this is rife. People who drive ICE cars who spend 42 cents per litre in tax are thinking a 2.5 cents per kilometre tax is going to immediately make them grow broke. Now, you're paying 42 cents per litre of fuel in tax. Your government is ripping you off right now. But they're so worried about a 2.5 cents per kilometre tax. So in comparison, I don't think it's that bad. So again, you've got to get the information right. There's a lot of people out there who just get scared by these sort of things, but you need to do your sums. For the average driver, the EV road tax only adds around $375 per year, around 15,000 kilometres per year drive habit. But remember, they will save on the fuel charges. If it was me, I would charge a tax on ICE car usage now to help transition people to EVs quicker. Then, when you hit mass transition, introduce an EV road tax. So for the first few years, you're going to take a hit on the budget. But introducing a road tax now, so early in the adoption of the EV phase, just delays EV take-ups for new customers based on the perception that EVs are more expensive to run. But actually, it's not, even with the new tax. Now, if you think you're in the new market for a car, you need to test drive an EV. It is fast becoming the most cost-effective solution for people when it comes to mobility. The cars in the future will be mobility devices, just like phones are communication devices. Now, what about drive time lethargy? I think it's important to discuss this. I was initially concerned that driving an autopilot around 80% of the time will mean I will get more sleepy, more bored and more lethargic. But actually, it's actually the opposite. Since buying an EV, I've taken my second car, which is a large SUV ICE car, on road trips of around 800 kilometres or more. Now, I don't take my Tesla too far out of the city, around a couple of hundred kilometres, 250 kilometres a day. But we've done one road trip in my SUV, uh, which is an ICE car, and for about 800 kilometres. That was ages ago, actually. That was actually before... hmm, I think it was actually just as I purchased the Model 3, but we haven't done any road trips since then. But but basically what I found, the concentration required to drive for such long periods of time in an ice car without auto steer is actually very, very high. Your arms start hurting after you hold that steering wheel for such a long time. Now, with auto steer and autopilot, you still hold the steering wheel, but the torque required to keep autopilot active is actually quite low. And I also think autopilot is a poor term, and I think Tesla don't use that terminology anymore. It's actually called auto steer. So now I can drive two hours at a time without much lethargy and I'm fresher after the drive compared to driving a car without any auto steer or pilot function. I think moving forward, auto steer is going to be standard on all the cars because the auto steer technology um, is getting better. And I think my younger children 
may not need a driver's license in the next 15 years at current rates of tech development. So it's a milestone. I think that I think Tesla have done that really, really well. Now, what about speeding fines? Have I received any speeding fines since buying my EV? Of course not. Next question. Just remember that speeding fines are not tax deductible, as some people have asked me, even if the car is used for business or work purposes. What about competitors? The EV car market in Australia, how does it compare to the Model 3? Now, since my last episode, there have been some credible competitors to Tesla, especially the Model 3. More competition is good, but the Model 3 is still the number one selling EV in Australia, hands down. And I think it actually outsells similar standardised cars too. Here are the stats according to Drive. And this was published on the 5th of April, 2022. Three out of five EVs sold in Australia were Model 3s. 6,752 EVs sold in the first quarter of this year. Model 3 accounted for 65% of those sales. EVs only account for 2.5% of total sales in the first quarter. And I think this figure will rise as the years go by. This year, Model 3 is expected to sell 18,000 units in Australia alone. Their production, their production worldwide, beg your pardon, is a million cars per year and aiming to be 2 million cars per year very soon. No wonder Elon Musk is really rich. Uh, now, I looked at the net worth of Elon Musk at the time of preparing for this. It was around $300 billion. And now he's ahead by $100 billion against Jeff Bezos and $200 billion compared to legacy billionaires Buffett and Bill Gates. Now, after Model 3, the second best EV is the Merck EQA, only 318 sales. The Hyundai Kona, only 304 sales, which I thought was a bit interesting because I think the Kona is actually a very good car. I've seen it in person. I've sat in it. I think it's actually quite a good car. So I'm surprised that people are not buying that. I think it's a little bit expensive. Uh, The Hyundai Ioniq was only 206. Now, the Hyundai Ioniq has a new model, the Ioniq 5, I think it's called. It's amazing. I've seen it in the flesh. It is a stellar-looking car, and I think it looks amazing, much better than any Teslas, I think. The MG ZS EV and uh, Taycan are now the 11th and 12th best cars compared to second and third best cars in 2021. So they've dropped down the rankings significantly. Now, that's how fast the EV space is moving right now. And this is a massive growth opportunity, I think, for Australia. The Hyundai Ioniq 5 and Kia EV6, now they're only available in limited supply. So they're not really for full release yet. Uh, And like I said, I've seen the Ioniq 5 in the flesh. That thing is gorgeous. And uh, from a functionality, from a competitor point of view, I think the Ioniq 5 is probably the best competitor for the Model 3. The EV6... I don't really like the look of that very much. The luxury EV market has been dominated by Mercedes-Benz. Mercedes is number one. Then it's Porsche, Volvo, BMW, Audi, Lexus, and Jag I-Pace. Those are the options for you if you're in the luxury market. Now, what about EVs that are available for $60,000 price ranges in Australia? Now, the BYD Atto 3, which is highly anticipated, likely launching in 2022. BYD is a dominant brand in China. And they make really good EVs and EV buses too. Now, this car is likely to have bi-directional charging at 50k battery, so 50 kilowatt, range of about 320 kilometres, 60 kilowatt battery, range of 420 kilometres, 
now, I'm not really sure why the Tesla batteries are so much more efficient from a 50 kilowatt battery. Uh, they usually get close to 380 kilometers, whereas the BYD doesn't. The cost for this is a really competitive 41 to 43,000 plus on-road cost, which I think is extremely competitive. And that includes rebates in some states. Now, the Hyundai Ioniq Fastback, not to be confused with the Ioniq 5 crossover, only has a 38 kilowatt battery, range is only around 300 kilometers, the cost is below 50,000. The Hyundai Kona Electric, cost of 54,000, 40 kilowatt battery, claimed range of 484 kilometers, which I think is pretty efficient if that's actually true. The MG ZS EV, 46,990 to 49,990 drive away, 51 kilowatt hour battery, range of 320 kilometers, slightly lower than anticipated. The Renault Kango EV van, now this was introduced and Renault Zoe hatchback was pulled. They specifically cited Australian government's lack of support for EVs for the decision-making. So they actually pulled it out after introducing it. So, and they said, we are not going to sell this in Australia because of the lack of support for EVs by the Australian governments. So it's a real, real pity because for 53K, I think it's a great cargo carrier, 300 kilometer real world range, zippy for those courier services in metro areas. Now, the short range Nissan Leaf, only 240 kilometers uh, at $49,000. Uh, I think that's not good at all, to be honest. I just don't buy the Nissan Leaf. It was a pioneer when it was first introduced as an EV, but just hasn't caught up with the other EVs and what they have to offer. So I think Nissan has, hasn't really progressed very much. Now, all of these options are suitable for the daily city drives. So, 20, overall opinion. What is my overall opinion of my car? Look, I think definitely the best car that I've ever driven, hands down. Realistically, I don't think I can envisage myself ever going back to an ICE car from a financial point of view. I save around $5,000 every single year just by driving it. Um, it just didn't make sense for me to drive an ICE car and that's why I bought an EV. Now, we haven't taken into account any of the health benefits, no exhaust fumes, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. Look, I don't buy the whole environmental benefit stuff. I believe in climate change. It's real. It is happening. But for me, it was mostly a financial decision. And I think when you're trying to convince the mass population, money talks. You need to convince them with the hip pocket, where it hits them the most, which is the wallet. All this lovey-dovey, yes, breathing nice hair and climate change and all that sort of stuff, that's all fine. But that's kind of like what rich people say. You know, oh, I've got a lot of money. I'll just go buy something really expensive because it's really good for the environment. The average person needs to be able to move on and afford an EV and they need to make it cheaper. And I think we are headed in the right direction moving forward. Uh, and I think EVs can't be mainstream unless the bottom line works out for the average consumer. And once it does, I think we will look at ICE cars like we look at steam engines right now. It'll just be relegated to the past. At the time of recording this episode, uh, or preparing for this episode, dare I say, here are the prices for the Tesla. Um, the Model 3 standard range was 63900 price hike of $1,000. The long range is 76200 and the performance is $88,900, which is a price drop 
from uh, before. It's actually $1,000 cheaper, which is pretty impressive. Now, the Performance Model 3 does 0 to 100 Ks in 3.3 seconds, which is faster than a Mercedes-Benz AMG C63S, which is at 3.9 seconds. Needless to say, the AMG is around $220,000, whereas the Model 3 Performance is only $88,900. Now, I think that's enough geeking out on this episode. Um, I think officially, this is now the longest episode that I've ever recorded at an hour and 12 minutes. So thank you very much for listening. That's about it. I think if you're in the market for a new car, consider an EV. It's fun. It's cheap to maintain. It's cheap to drive. It's easy to drive. And most of all, it might actually work out financially beneficial. Now, just a word of advice. Don't buy a new car unless you're net worth millionaires already. Don't borrow money to buy a car for personal use. Stick to the 20% of after-tax income rule for buying a car. Don't overcommit. And I'm not against buying nice cars, but please do your research, be conservative and take your time because a car, if bought at the wrong time in your life, can absolutely destroy your finances for over 10 years. Now, I was also thinking about mentioning a couple of other things in this episode, but I think it's getting a bit too long. So I might have to uh, head out. So thanks very much for listening. Uh, Remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you may be using or leave a five-star review on all of the platforms. That's even better. So please leave a positive review. The more ratings and more reviews you leave, the more people get access to the podcast. So please keep them coming. This is Dev Raga from My Millennium Money Medical. And until next time, please make sure you stay safe. Wait, hang on. Didn't you get a speeding fine the other day in the mail? Uh, speeding fine? Um, does mum know yet or? 20 bucks says she doesn't. 20 bucks, that's pretty expensive, isn't it? I think it's time to pay up then. Is this thing still on? We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorised representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services licence 451289. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 